This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Auxilio Partners, building the legal, business, and technology infrastructure for church plants. Find out more at auxilio.partners slash five points. Today on the pod, our guest shares how to build up a church plant. To me, the three pillars of church planting, and this is my opinion, would be uh, the teaching, preaching from the pulpit, the community, uh, the bond of that core and reaching outward. And then third would be mission and to have that in its DNA from the get-go. Why there's a need to plant churches internationally. Paris, for example, to give you numbers, you know, there's 12 million in Metro Paris. I had a conversation, we're having a conversation with a family of one pastor. And in that 12 million, there's about 30 churches that they would recommend someone mm. go to. Uh, as in like, they believe and preach the Bible. And what it's like not being the coolest person living under your roof. We're living with one of the oldest uh, members of the church, but she's also uh, the oldest living uh, female uh, World War II spy uh, under Churchill's Special Operations Executive. everyone. Welcome to the Five Points Church Planning Podcast. We're glad that you're here. Thank you for listening. We've reached the one-year mark, and we've also hit 10,000 downloads. That is great to hear. Just thank you so much. It means at least we're making one good point along the way. I also wanted to mention that John St. Martin, my guest host, is leaving the podcast. He has taken a new role with Reformation Heritage Pud Publishing in Grand Rapids, Michigan. That also means that he stepped down from the church he planted in Fargo, North Dakota. So if you have any interest or you know someone that might be interested, please feel free to touch base with us at reformplanting at gmail.com. Just trying to help a great group of people and a wonderful church. John will continue to Join us on regular basis with a new feature where we're going to highlight books that we think church planters should have in their library, books that can be a tremendous help to the heart, to the soul, and to the mind as you endeavor to start a new church for the glory of God. We have a very special guest with, with us today, a longtime friend of mine, John Hugh Tate, a missionary that has gone to Paris to plant a church. Please excuse my voice. I think fall is trying to make its way into the Memphis area, and that has me just a touch under the weather. So we have a very special guest this morning, John Hutate. He is a church planning missionary in Paris. We have known each other for a long time. I planted a church in the Jackson, Mississippi metro area, and John did as well, and that's how we met. And I'm excited to have him on here today because he gets to talk about church planting from an American perspective, and he also gets to talk about church planting from a European perspective, planting a church for English-speaking internationals in France. And so we're thrilled to have him on. 
John, thank you for joining us, and we'll jump right in. And so the first question I have for you this morning is if you would just briefly tell us about yourself and your call to the ministry back in the day. Yeah, and first, before that, thank you, Hunter uh, and Reed, for having me on and just doing this podcast. I know it's helpful for a lot of people, both uh, planting and just to learn more about planting. So I appreciate you guys. and Thanks for having me on. Uh, yes, Hunter, uh, you and I have known each other for uh, well, like, well, over a decade now, going back to uh, both of our Jackson days. And I was honored and blessed to minister in Jackson, Mississippi for nearly 17 years uh, at two churches. Uh, one of them I planted. And in terms of just call and trajectory of life, I'm from Mississippi, from New Albany, Mississippi, and that's uh, that that is it always will be home and pretty much left the state for about 10 years uh different stops uh working washington dc seminary in boston and then lived overseas actually in france and australia and and felt like international missions or international work uh was going to be my uh calling and god changed that and redirected me back to mississippi uh to jackson uh, with uh, with my wife, and had three boys there, and began to be interested back in uh, around the time you were planting, because I think we were a little bit behind you, but 05, 06, 07 into church planting, and then had some, some mentors, uh, other pastors really pour into me, and I was privileged to, uh, to help uh, plant uh, Bellwether Community Church, in 2007, and uh, and yeah, honored to pastor and preach and counsel and do all the things that that we do as we're planting at the same time. Uh, and then I'll talk probably a little bit more about this on down the road. Just felt a stirring to go back uh, into international missions, uh, and that led us to where we are today. All right, John Hugh, before we get into any of the fun stuff over in France right now, let's uh, quickly recap some stuff with your first church plant. So what are some things that you learned planting your first church? Maybe what was surprising to you? If you could maybe give yourself some advice looking back on that, uh, just kind of walk us through round one church planting with you. Yeah, that's such a great question. And, you know, I've, I've thought about that a lot of times, both in the last year with COVID as we're making this transition, uh, but then also in my latter years pastoring uh, Bellwether Community Church. And one of the first things I would say is some of the things that I thought were like really important uh, were less important. Uh, definitely less important to me now, but looking back, they were less important then. So what I meant, mean would be uh, things like location, building, setup, um, you need good sound, but uh, you know things like acoustics and investing, you know, money and energy into all that. It is important, but not as important as to me. The three pillars of church planting, and this is my opinion, would be uh, the teaching, preaching from the pulpit, the community, uh, the bond of that core, and reaching outward. And then third would be mission and to have that in its DNA from the get-go. And that's, so those, <clears throat> those are the, uh, the pillars of the three stools that I think 
became more important. So when we were just planting, you know, there's just so much emphasis on location, site, um, those, those tangible physical needs. And frankly, I had a lot of anxiety about those, I mean, back, uh, back in the day. And as God grew me, I just saw more of, more of a need and, and more of an emphasis that needed to be placed on those other things. Um, where, where that location, I mean, God provided, God provided the, those practical needs. And uh, yeah, I think I put too much emphasis on that. So that, that would be the first thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. John, you're raising support for this new work in Paris. But if you think back to your early days um, in terms of raising support, and a lot of people are afraid to even consider church planning because they have to step out in faith and raise support. What was that, just briefly, what was that experience like for you the first time? Yeah. Well, one thing I would say is, so I'm not a huge fan of what we might call, and people use this term still, a parachute drop, where, you know, you just drop in and, and you plant. Uh, you need time, or I think the planter and the planter's family needs time to really saturate in a culture. Uh, we were blessed with that in Jackson. I mean, we had three years, and we were serving another church uh, in Jackson, but in those three years, we got to build so many relationships in and out of that church. And while I'm from Mississippi, I'm not from Jackson, which is, you know, Hunter, it's just a totally different culture and context. Right. Sure. Diverse, socioeconomically diverse, racially diverse. So uh, just getting a feel of the lay of the land where here we're doing the same thing. It's not three years, but definitely in this first year, uh, I'm serving at a church here in Paris international church. And the whole rhythm, rhyme, purpose is just to saturate, incubate, uh, get a handle, feel for the lay of the land, um, build relationships. But I just think those relationships are also the building blocks for raising support. Not saying that those relationships are going to support you, but when you begin to have the vision, cast the vision, grow the team, uh, I've seen, and I know you've seen too, just the people that come in. Uh, to your your circle and into your uh, in your field uh, where you're planting, um, and they may not even you know the thing is they may not even be Christians they may not even be want to connect to your church but somehow there is a um, uh, th there's a blessing in how God provides. Going back to uh, to bellwether, I mean we saw that with our locations, uh, you know worried about where to to be and where to go. We had people that weren't even connected to our church that would literally open a door for a property uh, move or a property venue that would save us a lot of funds. And so that hasn't happened here yet. And we don't even know where we're, we're looking to plant, but, uh, but I do think uh, as, as you saturate, as you build relations and just be intentional to uh, be open to what God has, uh, he provides. Hmm. John, how did you know, the first time that you were called to plant a church? So I think that, uh, I think planting is a specific gift. Um, let me first say that, uh, meaning like not everybody's called to plant. Um, I keep going back saying, you know, when you and I, I felt like there was a wave of, of church planting was really the exciting thing in that, uh, 
Well, I first heard the term church planning, I think 2004, mm -hmm. uh, but then it grew kind of 05, 06, 07, uh, really, you know, with a, with a couple church planners that grew large churches throughout the United States. And, and it was just on the tip of everybody's tongue and everybody was talking about it. You know, I think that that's changed now in a, in a healthy way um, where, you know, it's, it's taken in context saying like, you know, planting is, is a gift. It's one of the gifts. It's not, uh, it's, it's not the main gift. It was almost, you know, I, I remember thinking like it was, it was almost like the, the most important thing you could do uh, in ministry was just plant a church and stay there your whole life, be a one and done 30 years. You know, I, I just remember not hearing that specifically, but it was almost like that was, that was the culture we were going into. So as a, um, as kind of a driven uh, back then, young guy, I wouldn't say that now. I was like, oh man, you know, I want to do that. Uh, but at the same time, I think that you have to have this, this um, adventurous spirit where you know there's going to be some failure. Uh, you know, it's going to be uh, hard. It's not all, one of my mentors said, it, you know, church planning, it's, it's not all milk and cookies. Uh, and there's a part of you that has to kind of like pain. <laughs> it's a little sadistic element there. Yeah, I know. Um, but I think there's some truth in that. You know, the pain of not knowing, the pain of like, you know, it it's gonna work out because our theology undergirds everything, and we know. Sure. The end of the day, it's gonna work out, but um, you know, it just may not be how you drew it up, and you have to be okay with that. So you have to have a capacity and an audacity uh, to handle adversity and the unknown. Mm. I really think that's important because yeah. um, there are going to be known things, which is good. You need some known things, but there are unknown things as well because you're just starting something that didn't exist. Right. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're literally moving into the unknown. It is, it is pioneering work. Uh, so you have to have kind of a pioneering spirit about you. Um, you know, I, I, I like it. I like to think about, um, in conversation with potential church planners, I've said like, well, if you weren't in ministry, what would you be doing? You mm -hmm. know, would you enjoy whether you call it startups or entrepreneurial activity or yeah, just creating something out of nothing. And yeah. maybe that's not in business. Maybe that's in arts, you know, just creating something. Yeah, that's a good point. And I, and I think that is, um, I think that's a good question that planters should ask themselves. Like, you know, would you, uh, would you like to, um, if you weren't in ministry, formal ministry, what would you like to do? And, um, you know, so I think for me, um, you know, you really need a, a pioneering type gift spirit uh, that God's given you. And, and look, I noticed this. So I would say starting the first church, planning the first church, Bellwether, it was, there was a drive, there was a, an ambition that turned into a godly ambition for the kingdom. But then, you know, it was eight years later, I ended up passing that church 13 years, but it was, I mean, the eight years later, I was like, I think I'm ready to do something else. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that needs to be addressed too. Like you can, uh, it's, it's okay to not stay at a church. It's okay to um, you know, I, I think in our minds, we think about career and like wanting to have long runs at a church. 
long runs are good. I mean, I think eight years is a long run. I think 10, 13 years is a long run. So, but, um, but, you know, it could be five or six years and then plant another church. I mean, I think our goal, again, it's an unknown, but we'd love to, um, to plant multiple churches in Paris right. um, because I think there needs to be more churches everywhere. And, um, and if you like that startup, that planting, that gathering process, um, you know, why not do it again? All right, so you've planted a church in Mississippi. You grew up in the Mid-South, Deep South. How does Paris, France come on your radar, and why on the world would you move there with your wife and kids, especially in the middle of a pandemic? So how does this happen? Yeah, how does it happen? (laughs) How does it happen in so many ways? Um, Well, first off, so it wasn't always Paris that we were, we were looking to go. As I said, uh, about five years ago, no, wait, it was 2015. What, so six years ago, 2015, I had the first stirring uh, because we were on a vision trip, uh, me and a couple guys actually in Italy. Uh, I've always had a heart for church planting and international church planting. So God opened doors for us while we we're in Jackson, in Honduras, in India, UAE and then in Italy and so we're in Italy and I had not been to Europe since 1999 so I've been to Europe 16 years and I'd always had an interest had a heart um, you know Europe secular culture uh, a lot of uh, atheist agnostic you know as a lot of opportunities for apologetics Um, and so I was there and literally began thinking like I could see our family doing something like this, like being here. That was in Italy. And fast forward a couple years later, because I'd come back home from that trip, mentioned that, said the same thing to my wife. And she said, no, I think we're good here. We're, we're settled, <laughs> rooted. So I knew, well, if that's going to happen, it's not going to be in the near future. So fast forward a couple years, the stirring, and I just called it that, a stirring, uh, did not cease. Now, it wasn't like a stirring for, hey, I've got to go to Europe or I've got to go to Paris. I was thinking more about places in the world that have a need for churches and places where our family could live. Okay, So I did put those two together. And then third, like where God might open a door. Like you could say, well, London needs churches and we could live in London, but God may not open a door in London. Okay, Um, You know, for example, India, we love ministry in India. I've been, been able to be, go there and be there four times. Uh, we're a special needs family. We have a special needs son. Uh, we would not move our family to India. I mean, that's, I just don't think that's wise for us. So that's somewhere that we wouldn't go. Um, but they need churches there. So there are three categories that we were working with. And Hunter, I know you and I had conversations. We were looking at places in North America, such as San Francisco, um, you know, that's a, that's a culture, a context that needs more churches. That's, that's tough soil for ministry. We know pastors there. Uh, where I went to seminary, Boston, the Northeast, uh, New York, you know, exploring, just praying through possibilities. You know, we didn't do anything like send out resumes. We just talked to people we trusted and said, we have a heart to plant again, if possible, in a place that needs churches. So, um, Everywhere needs churches, but we were looking at, you know, that 
I mean, the numbers just show over an overwhelming need. Um, Paris, for example, to give you numbers, you know, there's 12 million in Metro Paris. Uh, one, I had a conversation, we're having a conversation with a family of one pastor and in that 12 million, there's about 30 churches that they would recommend someone mm. going to. So right. uh, as in like they believe and preach the Bible. Um, and so those are, those are the numbers here. Um, so we were looking around and just saying like, you know, Lord, where are you going to open a door? Well, the connection, the, the friend, the family in Italy asked, well, are you open to being in Europe? And we were, we were. So um, through a network we were, we were part of at the time, uh, Acts 29, um, which is a, a great network, great friends. But we had a lot of connections in both in North America and also uh, in Europe. So we began talking to pastors in Europe. And then we got to meet some pastors, a group of pastors in Paris, uh, different churches, uh, great uh, men. Uh, and we got to come over here a couple summers ago and worship and, and meet with them. And we're just very impressed with kind of what the um, what God was doing, because there seemed to be a great camaraderie mm -hmm. amongst this great need. But there was nothing concrete. I mean, nothing opened up for us, no doors, opportunities. And, and then uh, in the spring of 19, I believe it was spring, summer of 19, began to get into conversation with some guys uh, who were pastoring these international churches. So when I say international church, just to be clear, that would be uh, in a global city, an English speaking church, because you have so many people uh, where English is the, uh, the lingua franca. It's the, you know, it's the common tongue. And uh, maybe, maybe their heart language is French. Maybe their heart language uh, is, is Spanish, maybe their heart language is another language, but they have this sense, this knowledge of French, and uh, maybe their heart language is, is, is English too, so they could, uh, they could be in an English church, worship together, and grow. Give you an example, I met some students at church this past uh, Sunday, and they were here to, uh, in school at a French seminary and learning French, but they said, we want to grow, uh, as a disciple, so we need to go to an English-speaking church. We're not just going to church to learn French. Uh, there was another young man who was a grad student from Liberia uh, who came to church, and, you know, he said, to grow, I have to go to an English-speaking church. I mean, I can, I can connect to French, I can kind of understand it, but to really grow, it's my, it's my native, it's my heart language. Mm -hmm. So that's what I mean, and so these guys, there were, there were a couple of guys that were uh, actually from the Deep South, from Alabama, and they were pastoring two international churches, Emmanuel International Church of Paris. And so we started a conversation, which led to an interview, which led to an assessment. And so it was about a six month period that Linda and I had time to process and think and pray leading up to the end of 19, 2019, and being over here and offered an opportunity to come on board with Emmanuel International Church, serve as a pastor, again, for at least a year to learn and grow and then plant a third Emmanuel International Church in a different area of Paris. So going back to what I said, we initially, we wanted to go somewhere where there was a stark need. We wanted to go somewhere where we were willing to move our family. And uh, so, you know, we were looking at, at countries, um, 
you know, that, that we had some type of, it wasn't just France, what even Europe, we had some conversation about Australia too, but there was a need where we were willing to move and where God opened the door. Um, now, looking back in life, I will say this, you know, it's ironic because uh, when I was in college at Ole Miss, I'll add that in this week, Hunter. Right. That's only because they play Alabama on Saturday, correct? I know, that's why I added that. So uh, uh, I was an English and French major. Uh, I did a year study abroad in France. You know, I mean, it's just funny how God. So there's a bit of foundation of French language that uh, I'm comfortable with and as a base. And, uh, you know, it look, our thing. There are no accidents in our faith. There are no accidents in Christianity, and uh, our theology undergirds everything. So he knows our days. He he knows our plans. So you've mentioned a little bit about what you're doing over there. Could you kind of just flush that out a little bit more? What are you working on in Paris, serving at this church right now, hoping to plant? Kind of what's the what's the idea? What's the picture going forward? Yeah. So we've been here a few weeks right now, and serving as a pastor, like a pastor in residence, Emmanuel International Church. Uh, interestingly, I've actually preached in the five Sundays we've been here, I've actually preached three of the five. Uh, that wasn't the plan coming in, but, uh, and I say this thankfully, our pastor's uh, daughter was uh, got sick and was in the hospital. She's out now and well, so I had to uh, really uh, step in but been blessed to preach there. So I'm on the preaching rotation, the preaching schedule, um, a couple meet meetings every week. We have a pastor's meeting. There's, there's four of us. And then we have a staff meeting. And then I've slowly begun to meet with different people in the church, different leaders, uh, just to get to know them. Um, my, my purpose my plan would be to begin really trying to pour in and disciple some, some individuals, some leaders at the church, um, just to help them grow people who are curious. Uh, and then honestly, just get my family adjusted to living here. Uh, we put our kids, uh, two of them in French public schools, uh, and they have not gone to college and majored in French yet. So they are just, starting out, you know, thrown in. So you're saying and, that's different from their, their past schooling experience? Yeah, a bit. <laughs> just a bit. So um, really just trying to help them and get us acclimated, uh, living here, get us adjusted. Um, and then, you know, things like this, staying connected with people back home to uh, both promote the ministry, international church planting, planting in France. So, you know, trying to do this and stay connected as much as possible. John, it's pretty obvious what is different between planting in Jackson, Mississippi and in Paris. But, and even though you've only been there a short time, you've had the opportunity over a longer period of time to talk to some of the pastors there. What do you think will be the same in terms of planting? Um, well, you know, you start with, uh, preaching the gospel, obviously, and yeah. the gospel will, uh, draw people, um, the gospel will draw those it will draw. Uh, so, you know, that is the same, uh, you have to be sensitive, you know, to, you know, questions and context and all that, 
I think relationships are the same. I mean, you want to, um, I mean, fruits of the spirit, uh, you know, being intentional, um, being kind, being curious. Um, you don't have to just be curious in a global city or international context. I mean, you know, you be curious anywhere about, um, about life, about an individual's life, about a family's life, about a context such as Memphis or, uh, or New Albany, Mississippi, or, you know, so just being curious about people, being interested in people, a desire to connect people, as in like everyone needs community, uh, everyone needs relationship. Um, I think one of the similarities that planters have to deal with also is the loneliness involved. Yeah. You don't have to just move to Paris, but just starting out and, you know, not being integrated into, let's say, a larger church or having things set for you and the people, the members, you know, who've been there for years and years and the families who take you to lunch. So you have to, uh, so there's a, that similarity too, that you, you just have to be good with and that pioneering spirit. Um, really, really being intentional about prayer because yeah. of that unknown. Sure. You know, that's uh, something I would do different. That's why I was pausing and thinking, I was like, I should have said that because that's, I would have prayed more. Um, you know, planners also tend to be pretty active people. Um, you know, like, you know, we want to have things accomplished. We want to have things checked off our list. And, um, you know, this planting humbles you so that you have to rely on prayer. So that's, um, you know, that's, that's something very similar. You know, at the end of the day, I think, you know, if you're willing to, to pray and preach the gospel and be curious about people, you know, really anybody can plant. You just have to be also uh, knowledgeable that you're, you're moving into the unknown and rely on those things. You know, yeah. uh, I've, I've talked to many people who become friends who planted and they're like, you know, I didn't think I was that type of, of uh, person or DNA and, you know, more, let's say of an introvert or more, you know, just loving his, his studies as, as a pastor and, you know, yeah. and they planted churches. So that there's that reliance on the Lord, uh, faithful to the gospel, um, willing to plant seeds cold. And, you know, Who's to say that those aren't, you know, just the healthiest churches as it, as it sure. plays yeah. out. I hear you. Uh -huh. All right. So John, you've, you know, planted this church, uh, Bellwether in Jackson. You're now in Paris, Lord willing, you'll plant a spiritually healthy second church. What do you think are some specific gifts that might be different between a person who plants one church and then maybe stays there or, after many years goes to an established church versus the gifts of someone that perhaps plants one, two, three churches. So um, that, that's a great question. So I think there are different seasons of life and uh, you know, for some, for some pastors, those called into ministry, you know, life may orchestrate, uh, what they need to do, as in like some, you know, their, their family life may entail that, uh, I mean, I, I have some, we, we know some people, I think, they haven't told me their story, but, 
you know, they may have planted a church and then gone on into a large church staff. And, and maybe they just needed a season where they weren't, uh, they weren't the guy. They weren't, you know, having to preach 40 to 45 Sundays a week. And, you know, all roads didn't just come to them because often in church planting and even look, the successful church plants, uh, you know, you grow it into a smaller church, but it's still going to be a small staff and you're still going to be dealing with a lot of the, uh, uh, the details and, and the challenges and the, um, and the needs. So a lot's still going to go through you. Um, and, and there's some people I think gifted as planters and their gifting is it making that shift from a church of 200 to uh, a larger, more structured uh, church. And I think that's, I think that's okay, especially if you're aware of it. Um, so someone might say, hey, I want to go and be, um, uh, you know, be an assistant or have a different role, or I may want to go and plant another church. Um, but I, I do think that that person who plants and stays and, and continually uh, kind of grows it from one not just season, but, you know, shift to the next. I really admire those folks. I, I don't think I'm, you know, great at that. I, you know, if I'm being honest, I think uh, kind of a multi-layered, multi-level, you know, moving that church. Well, in fact, I've heard others of other pastors that, that we know that they had to bring in someone that could, could move the church into a different, um, into a different playing field because they just, you know, didn't have that capacity, didn't have that gift set. So I think there's wisdom in that. I think it takes that wisdom. Um, I think both are needed, you know, a planter who stays, uh, you know, gosh, look at a guy like Tim Keller. And um, I think he's even open and honest in terms of Redeemer's growth. You know, he had to bring people in to help manage that growth. I mean, he was, you know, teacher, preacher, writer, uh, you know, it's, I don't know, I'm a baseball fan and in baseball, you know, they always talk about the five tool player that's so rare. And I think it's rare in ministry too. I don't know many five tool, you know, in terms of kingly gifts and priestly gifts and prophetic gifts. So just having that wisdom to bring someone in to help, whether it's administration or pastoral care or preaching duties. Uh, I think if you're going to stay at a church, you've going back to your original question, if you're going to stay, you've got to have that humility and wisdom and um, honesty to say, here's what we need to uh, move the church to the next phase. Yeah. Self-assessment and honesty and calling on the Holy Spirit to help you. Yeah, definitely. All right, John Hugh, I've heard bits and pieces of this story, and we can't let you out of here. I think it would be really interesting for everybody to hear a little bit about who you and your family are living with while you're in Paris. You want to share a little bit about that story? Yes, um, happy to do so. Um, so, well, we're living with one of the oldest uh, members of the church, and uh, she, she's a widow. Uh, she's been a member of the church for 20 or 30 years, I believe. But she's also uh, the oldest living uh, female uh, World War II spy uh, under Churchill's Special Operations Executive 
So her name's Noreen Rioles. She is a, uh, a great uh, lady that we've gotten to know. And uh, yeah, her family also got to know us. And, you know, they had some, uh, they, they had a provision in terms of housing that they helped us with and uh, were very gracious and have done so with other uh, people in ministry too, I might add. So, uh, so we have been blessed to get to know her uh, and build a relationship and care for her. But um, as I've said, you know, when you're around her, she's not, uh, or you're not the star attraction she is. And so she was, uh, yeah, she was a spy in World War II for, um, I guess, about four years there under the SOE, which was started by uh, Churchill. Uh, and she did a, a lot of things. I think some of which I don't know about and maybe others of which I can't even say still. But, uh, you know, one, one thing I will say about her, she uh, talking about humility, talking about, talking about just, you know, we, we speak of the greatest generation and sacrifice and those, those words we kind of throw out there. But um, she was a, a spy in intelligence and she was not able to talk about her work or even acknowledge where she worked until 2000. So the war ended in 45. So that's 55 years mm, yeah. where she did, um, you know, what, what we would think of as like cool stuff and a cool role and heroic stuff, things. And uh, I mean, obviously there was the legality to it, but, you know, it wasn't even a, you know, conversation. I mean, her parents didn't know. Mm. Her parents died without, um, they thought she worked at the Ministry of Agriculture and Fisheries. Mm. Yeah. So, um, you know, she had, in terms of danger, uh, she was all, she, I've asked her that, you know, when were you in danger? And she says pretty much constantly because, you know, in London during the war, they were being bombed every night and said death was everywhere, all around. Um, every morning, every day, you'd hear someone died who you knew or someone you knew, you know, someone who um, was close to them. Uh, but then in specific ways, she was in danger because she served often as a decoy in training other agents. So uh, she could have, she could be in a situation where she was to meet an agent who didn't know her, she didn't know them, and there could be a counter agent because that agent could have been kidnapped or captured and she'd have been captured. And so that happened to one of her girlfriends who was, who survived, but she was tortured, uh, things like that. You know, she was, yeah, I mean, she, she, she didn't go into occupied France like many people, but uh, there was a lot of, uh, a lot, a lot of that um, clandestine, uh, you know, spy, counter spy in London and yeah. uh, the work she did, she was, certainly putting herself at danger at risk of harm's way serving two kingdoms she started served the united kingdom and now she's serving christ's kingdom opening up her home to you and giving you guys a place to live in the heart of of paris which is no small thing in light of the cost um over there so it's i just thought that was interesting i'd read her book or excuse me i'm in the process of reading her book and i couldn't let you go without mentioning that john thanks for joining us. Thanks for being here. If people listening to this episode want to know more about you guys, how would they get in touch? Yeah, so easy. Uh, just go to the Tates in Paris, either online, there's a website, the Tates in Paris, or social media, 
and it's all connected and you can email us from there or you can communicate through social media but uh yeah it and it has a lot about our family it is also i will say this the tates in paris we have built that kind of platform to um uh, to also talk a lot about uh, culture and french culture and uh so it's not even all ministry and that's intentional uh yeah. we want to uh to build that into uh yeah, just a place of interest uh, because we care about this land now and these people, and um, and yeah, also kind of get it out of just church context. Sure, but yeah. that's that's our base, the Tate yeah. and Perry. And th- and those are on YouTube, by the way. Yes, a YouTube. Yeah. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. All right, John Hugh, thank you so much for joining us. It was great to uh, talk to you and to converse, particularly about church planning. You've been a blessing to me and. Um, I, I know this episode will be a blessing to many. Thanks so much. Thank you guys again. That's the last word for now. As always, you can reach us with comments or questions on Twitter and Facebook at Five Points Planting or at our email address, reformedplanting at gmail.com. See y'all next time. Five Points Church Planting is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. One, two, three, it's a wrap.